Welcome to the podcast of St. Basil the Great Catholic Church in Brecksville, Ohio, with homilies, talks, and interviews relevant to your Catholic faith. God bless you, and enjoy. So Jen asked me just to share a little bit, and basically what I want to do today is just reflect on some things that most people may take for granted, or not even know about TOB, and in particular you could water it down to John Paul II didn't just give us new content, he gave us a method, and it's the method really is what makes it so engaging, and that's what we really want to talk about, and it gets summed up in this sentence, we are not saved by a formula, but that comes from a document by Pope St. John Paul II that he wrote uh, uh, the year 2000, Novo Millennio Inuente, and it was for the new millennium. And the first third of the document at this point in the game is boring to read. It's about what did they do to prepare for that. If you read that, you'd be like, this is a snooze. All right. But then after that, he gets into his pastoral plan for the church in the third millennium. And this document was beautiful. It's really inspiring. And by the way, uh, how many years are we into the new millennium? 23. And how long is a millennium? Yeah, so it's okay that it hasn't really taken full fruit yet. Or it takes some time. All right, so it's going to get there. We're fine. All right, but it's to say this is that it wasn't well received in American church, not because people didn't like it, but if you remember, right around the year 2001, when this would have been taking root, the church had some sex abuse scandals going on. Four or five years before that was Columbine, the first of many tragic school shootings. Right? In addition, 9-11 happened. Right? Not to mention, the thrust of his pastoral plan is that the church would sit still long enough to listen to Jesus before they were busy doing things for Jesus. And as Americans, we like doing things. It makes us feel very important. And so we didn't want to listen to it too much. The document didn't get much traction in the United States. But this is a very important part. So think about everything going on. Terrorist attacks, church sex abuse scandals, that's just like in America. Think about all the wars, the poverty, the injustices, corruption, evil, denial, lies. May sound familiar like some of you. But this is what Pope John Paul II said to that. We are certainly not seduced by the naive expectation that faced with the great challenges of our time, we shall find some magic formula. No, we shall not be saved by a formula, but by a person. And the assurance he gives us, I am with you. What I really just want to really submit to all of you tonight is, when God came to save us, he didn't give us a to-do list. When God shows up in his creation, he doesn't show up as like Ikea furniture manual, like steps one through ten, and then you miss step eight, so the shelf is crooked, so you got to go back and fix it all over again. Like, he didn't show up like that. He showed up as a person, and a person in our human nature. Which means, if he's the one who saves, he's the one who heals, he's the one who's our hope, the church, everything she does, needs to somehow be in terms of a person, in terms of a relationship, or theologically, we use the term communion, but we could say relationship. It has to be an encounter. You have to meet this person. And since he rose from the dead and he fills all times and places, anyone can meet him, which is really good news. But what happened in America, at least, what we liked doing is we began to come up with a bazillion ways to pass on the faith that were all really, really good. Please hear that. They're all really, really good content. 
but the method in which they were passed along gave people a lot to think about, but not much of an encounter. What's wrong about Remember when Catholicism by Father Robert Barron came out? There was like an unspoken buzz, like this is the silver bullet. If we can just get everyone to watch all 10 DVDs, then the church will be saved. <laughs> and then a couple years later, a new group came out and it was Symbolon. It's like, no, you need to know the creed better. Now here's the thing. Spouses know this. If you don't know your spouse's middle name, birthday, or eye color, it's gonna be hard to love them, all right? So content is important. It's just, that can't be enough. You don't marry someone because their middle name's Hildegard or whatever your middle name may be. Yeah. So then a couple years later, there was a Ramus, How to Pray. There's great Catholic podcasts out there, like Pints with Aquinas and other ones. And it was just, we were just loading up with information. And some of the best information the church has ever been able to convey in 2,000 years. We are all the recipients of such a blessed time. This may also surprise you. We celebrate more sacraments in the last hundred years in America than they did before. We have more churches. They were busy. Baby boomers, etc. Lots of sacraments being celebrated. And in addition, more people have probably gone on mission trips in the last hundred years uh, than any other time. And yet, you know the numbers better than I do, probably. So the church's content is getting stronger. And like I said, non-negotiable. We are not anti-intellectual. But what saves us is not a formula or something new to think about. It's a person. And the reassurance he gives, I am with you. By name, he's with you. So what does it have to do with theology of the body then? Well, what theology of the body gives us is a new approach to not just insights. There are some theological insights that weren't there before and brought to the forefront, which is awesome. But it also gives us a certain approach, a method. And basically, if I could sum it up, it has to do with experience. So this is kind of a dense slide in some ways, so let me just unpack it for a minute. Let's imagine, and these are gross time periods, so this is not accurate. So if you're one of those historians, you're gonna come up afterwards and try to correct my timeline, I'm gonna walk away, I know, okay? <laughs> not even going to engage, I know, but just humor me. Before Vatican II, we had a lot of truth stuff going on. The church teaches this, know this. Raise your hand if you ever knew the Baltimore Catechism. Just a few people, great. Let's you know that this is working. We're getting younger generations interested in the church. Way to go. Okay. Baltimore Catechism was all a bunch of answers, and you memorize them in Catholic school. Then after Vatican II, the few decades after Vatican II, it was all about experience. My mom tells the story in fifth grade, I came home from PSR, CCD or whatever, however you know it as, PSR, and I didn't ever like going, and I came in and I had a sheet of paper with Jesus' face and I colored it, and I crumpled it up and threw it on the floor, and I said, Mom, if you think coloring Jesus is gonna make me follow him, you're nuts. <laughs> Very endearing, I think you would have loved me in fifth grade. I really did. So after Vatican II, it was all about expression and experience and feelings, but there was no guide. There was no sense of questions like, what does this mean? Where does this come from? Why do I feel this way? Does God have anything to do with my real life? John Paul II comes on the scene and doesn't do an either-or. He doesn't say, let's go back to the way things were. He says, there's something good in both of these. Let's bring them together. 
And this is where you have experience and truth. Now, philosophically, there's two philosophers at least that I know of in the audience, so I'm gonna tread very lightly, okay? I did well in philosophy in my undergrad, but not well enough to feel confident. So, um, phenomenology, anthropology, and metaphysics. Needless to say, phenomenology was the type of philosophy John Paul II brought in. Why does that matter for a bunch of TOB nerds like us tonight? It's a fancy term that pretty much means he took your experience very seriously. Very, very seriously. And he thought your experience, when understood at its depths, not at its surface level, confirmed what God had said in Jesus. It didn't go against it. Which means the human heart, our dreams, our desires, our wounds, our pain, they're actually witnessing, or as John Paul II uses the word, echoing to God's plan for us. So another way to say it, you hear this on college campus, like, tell me your story, or if you're in like a coffee house, right? So your story, your desires, your destiny, it's about resonance and correspondence. Do you come alive? So for a, a faithful disciple of a Pope John Paul II, when we engage the world, our first question or our first statement is not, you're sinning, or gosh, can you believe what they're doing? And our first conversation isn't morals. Please stop that. It's so annoying. No one wants to hear that, right? It hasn't worked also, by the way. So in case you were wondering if maybe this would be the time, it doesn't. We begin with, what do you love? What makes you come alive? What do you get excited to do? When you have free time, what do you want to go be doing? Or if there's a trusted relationship there, what has broken your heart? Do you know why it hurts so bad? Do you know what you were actually looking for? So this is, John Paul II uses the phrase echo, right? So imagine this, this is a little example. There's so many friends I have here that I know so well and it's good to see all of them here. And it's like, I love seeing my friends. So if that's in my heart, my love for my friends, you say, well, why do I love that? Well, theology of the body comes in and says, let's look at how you were created. I was created for communion, not just with God, but with people. And then theology of the body points to, well, what's your destiny? Not just life with God, but the communion of the saints. So that objective truth, I'm meant for communion with human beings, is reflected in the deep desire and love and enjoyment I have with friends. It's the echo. Conversely, sad to say, I was uh, doing some healing work with someone who had been sexually assaulted. And they were sharing their story. And at the heart of their story and their wounds and their trauma was this cry, which was, do I even matter? Does it even matter? I just felt like they didn't even see me, they didn't care. And you start to realize, this individual didn't know why they had that question, but it was a desire because we are meant as a, to, we are created as a person to be seen, known, and loved, to be treated with dignity and respect. It's, it's in the heart. It's in our experience. This method. Without this method, Jesus is Christ sounds just like 2 plus 2 equals 4. And no millennial or Gen X or Gen Y or Gen Z or whatever going to wake up on a Sunday morning to hear 2 plus 2 equals 4. None of them are going to say, oh, no, I'm not going to make out with my girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever because 2 plus 2 equals 4. I'll wait. I'll wait to marriage. I'll stay in marriage when it's really hard and do the difficult work. Because two plus two equals four. But they may do it if, you mean to tell me the life Jesus is offering me corresponds to the desires of my heart? 
and actually make sense of my story, well, then I kind of want to be near him. Where is he? Come and see. And then we take him to the church and things like this. So this isn't just like a John, this isn't just a John Paul II thing. This has been in the tradition. And just recently, Pope Francis wrote a document about Blaise Pascal. We're getting nerdy, I know, but it's fine. Blaise Pascal was a philosopher from the 17th century and a mathematician. But he writes this same thing that John Paul II was writing about the human heart telling us things. What is it then that this longing and this feeling of helplessness cries out to us? If not that man once enjoyed a true happiness of which there now remains but an empty trace that he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, yet none of these can provide it. Blaise Pascal knew the human heart was looking for something, and why would we look for things if we didn't know things at one point? Put it this way, everybody dies, so why do we cry at funerals when loved ones die? It's a fact of life. Get over it. Come on. We cry because our heart's like, I don't want loved ones to die. I don't want to be without the people I love. I want a life where that never is an experience. Now, if someone can be honest about that place in their heart, now we can say, you know, Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Now we can have a conversation. So 17th century people realize it, and those who know me know I wouldn't be able to go far without talking about this man. Monsignor Lorenzo Albacete. Don't know why I'm getting emotional about him. He uh, died four months into my priesthood, but I'm, uh, I, I have a, I'm, I'm honored as the title to be the new Albacete priest, they deemed me. So in New York, I'll be speaking on his behalf in an, an event. He was a, a good friend and a theological advisor to Pope John Paul II. He was the first one to teach theology of the body in the United States. And he taught Christopher West, who then became Jen Ricardinized, big former, and Pat Schultz and many others. But listen, this is what he says, that our hearts keep pointing to this life we're looking for. It is because evil is so alien to how we are made that suffering and death are so repulsive. We cannot imagine a history without the struggle that brings about suffering. But deep within our hearts, we hear a distant echo of what could have been, of how human life was really meant to be. You ever get that sense there's something more out there? Like, I'm here, but I want this. What is that? Why do we all feel it? And if we all feel it, it wouldn't it be easier to be like, well, that's just dumb. Well, we can numb it out. There's a, I can tell you a bunch of ways to numb it out. I love Law & Order, SVU, Criminal Minds, a lot of TV shows. Lots of ways to numb it out. But to stay in touch with our humanity is to stay in touch with this longing for a life that we can't always name. And then what Theology Body taught us to do is say, we believe and we can show you that Jesus will make sense of your humanity. He actually really touches your real life. Your real life. So, in that same document at the beginning of the third millennium, John Paul II ends with this. To make the church the home and the school of communion, that is the greatest challenge facing us in the millennium which is now beginning. If we wish to be faithful to God's plan and respond to the world's deepest need for more rules. Oh, deepest, oh, deepest yearnings, I'm sorry. I, I thought we needed to keep telling people we're right and they're wrong, and then they would eventually show up. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time believing this is the greatest challenge facing the church. But the, maybe the Pope has a better perspective than I do. 
He certainly does now. To be a church that knows how to live with human beings. To be a home for communion. What is home? It's where you take your belt off. I know that sounds weird, but it's where you relax. You put your sweats on. You're comfortable. It's easy. You don't have to, ladies, no makeup, guys, whatever. I don't know. Maybe some of you know makeup. Way to go. So whatever, yeah. But it's, thank you. Yeah, thanks, Father Pat. That's why I have him out there, just in case. He was a plant. He knew that was coming. But it's where it would be so natural to live with each other. That's what the church is meant to be, a place where I can bring my real humanity and be received and seen. And it's a school for teaching us how to be in communion with God and each other. That's what it's meant to be. But that will never happen without relationships. TOBCLE is unique compared to almost all other TOB apostolates in the United States in that it is intensely locally focused. TOBCLE versus some other ones, the whole goal is relationships in the Diocese of Cleveland because you're not going to share the deepest things in your heart if you don't trust someone. And you can't trust someone unless you spend time with someone. And you can't spend time with someone unless you can actually meet with them. And you can't meet with them unless they live locally. So TOBCLE is trying to create an ecosystem where the likelihood of receiving these truths would be at the highest because people would be so seen and loved by the staff, the team, and the events they put on that the human heart would feel safe enough to say, I don't want to die. I want to know why I have this struggle. Why do I have hope when so many things have gone wrong? Why do I have a desire that although externally I have everything I'm supposed to have in life, this isn't what I'm for? Why are the world telling me that my body doesn't mean anything and yet I'm constantly embarrassed about my body or constantly looking at other bodies? If it doesn't mean anything, why are we so attracted to bodies? We're never going to have that honest conversation if there aren't relationships. And TOBCLE with Jen and Aaron and the whole board, what they're trying to do is precisely say with gentleness to a whole world what Jesus says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to the fulfillment of your human desires. He is the truth that sets you free from confusions and lies that because you did something, you're bad or you'll never be enough. And he's the actual life we're seeking. Way, truth, and life showed up as a person so that we could spend time with him, encounter him, and become his friend, and then imitate that in our other relationships. We hope you enjoyed this audio from our parish. You can find other homilies, talks, and interviews at our website, basilthegreat.org, or by subscribing to this podcast in your favorite app. Just search for St. Basil Catholic Church, Brexville. St. Basil the Great, pray for us.